welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the table. I am I'm really excited about today's episode because I this conversation and we're talking about a book and I feel like it's about time that she wrote a book. I'm so excited. <laughs> We are going to be talking about staying curious today, and my guest is Stephanie Williams O'Brien. She's a pastor, a professor, and a podcaster. She all also starts wears, with P. All, all starts with P. And she's an aunt and a wife and a friend and a daughter and wears lots and lots, lots and lots and lots of different hats. And I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So is there anything else you'd like to oh, man. say to introduce you know, yourself? Some people wearing a lot of hats is fun. Some people it's terrifying. So it's fun for me. So I'm always thinking about how just because I wear a lot of hats doesn't mean anyone should think they should try to. But (laughs) but I do enjoy it. It's fun. It's it's like a fun part of my I like like toggling between those two Mm -hmm. and being Auntie Steffi and then like running over to teach a class at the seminary. So it's fun, (laughs) which is one of the things I got to do with you. That's been Mm -hmm. fun too. Yeah. Yeah. I audited Stephanie's class, which you may have heard me talk about in past yeah. episodes yeah um her preaching class which was phenomenal which actually i thought about when i was reading your book because in that preaching class you talked about that it's always god first mm. whenever we're preaching it always starts with god it doesn't start with something we're doing mm. or some way that we're pursuing him it's always him pursuing us first yeah which i thought was an important thing to keep in the back of my mind too when i was reading this book about staying curious and kind of getting stuck in yeah. places yeah Definitely, definitely. Of course, that is such a core part of my just, you know, understanding of the world. You know, I mean, I think, you know, you say, oh, these are all your titles. It's like, what the, at the very core, it's like, I'm God's kid. That's Mm -hmm. who I am. And so it starts with that. It starts with the fact that God made me in his image and created us to be creative and created us to be curious. Mm -hmm. I really think that's true. And so even the idea of staying curious, it's like, stay curious because that's how God made you, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's a big part of the heart behind it. Yeah. So why don't we, why don't we just, we'll just dive right in. Okay. Why don't we talk about first why? Why? So I said that it's about time that you're writing a book. (laughs) And I feel like that because I've heard you speak a few times and that you just have so many important things to say. And the thing that has always struck out, stuck out to me is that you live the way that you preach. Hmm. You're not asking people to do things that you haven't done already or the way that you're living. And I, just feel like your voice is important and I'm so I'm just so glad <laughs> that this book is finally here so yeah we talk a, saying that we talk a little bit about why yeah how you got to this place yeah so the book is called stay curious and the tagline is how questions and doubts can save your faith and I think that um it, in a lot of ways the book encapsulates some of my story so you know sometimes I think writing a book you're you're writing first and foremost about your own story and this is not really what I'm doing I have lived this journey of being a person who wrestled with faith questions and with doubt and Mm -hmm. um, really hard things just like most people Mm -hmm. and I include my story but really this the the answer to why in a sentence is thousands of conversations that I've Mm -hmm. had with people Um, and the the fact that this is something that so many of us wrestle through I think most, maybe not all, but most people come to different points in their life where they question either the perspective of faith that they had, their faith altogether, their understanding of God, their understanding of Jesus, and have doubts about that. And what you do with that, I think, is really important. And so Mm -hmm. the why is all the conversations I've had about what we do with those things and how we step into those things. I'm more interested in how people think than what they think mm. and helping people cultivate an, a life of curiosity, I think really honors the way that God made us. And I think that it's a better way to live. <laughs> I just think it's a better <laughs> way to live. Um, it feels like it would be a better way to live to have a lot of periods at the end of the sentences about who we are and what we believe and what we're about. I, I know that can bring a sense of security, but I think that there's just a, a false reality of how certain things are. I think there is more uncertainty than we like to admit because that feels hard Mm -hmm. but I think it can also feel interesting and exciting if we think about it that way and so I think uh just so many journeys of so many people recognizing that there's a lot of big questions and thoughts in life about 
what you want to be about and your mission and your purpose, but that often this conversation is the one that keeps you from that conversation. Mm-hmm. That the the swirling around of the uncertainty and not finding a foothold in where who you are and where you're trying to, to be in life is what keeps people from being able to take the next steps in questions like, what is my purpose and how do I want to live that out? And what does it look like for me to be on mission? If you're questioning the God of mission mm-hmm. altogether, <laughs> it's kind of hard to step with courage into mm-hmm. mission. Mission takes courage and living on purpose takes courage. And so... Um, I think wrestling through some of these questions is key. And I I also have seen some research that I quote in the book about how most people who go through questions and doubts in their faith, in their life, would say that that led to a more vibrant and engaged version of their faith. Very few actually lose their faith altogether. Most of them had some sort of shift within it, sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing, expanding as a person, absolutely. But that there was a newfound sense of energy around it. So when somebody asks me, are you afraid as a pastor? Um, my church is about 10 years old, so I've walked through life with a lot of people and of course a lot more life to go. But um, seeing some of those people through 10 or 15 years of life, am I afraid that people are going to question or doubt their faith? And in some ways, I see why they're asking that because my church kind of does gather around this person of Jesus and what Jesus is about. Mm-hmm. But I'm almost to the point now where I say I'm afraid that people aren't going to wrestle with questions and mm. doubts because I see how those who run away from that are not living as intentional, deep, vibrant version of their faith as the people who stepped into that, worked through it. Uh, the wall is something I talk about. They they recognize you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You got to go through it. And that work that you do to go through those types of walls in your faith, in your life, in your worldview that usually come from circumstances, at least to people who are just deep and are mm-hmm. able to to really see beneath the surface of things in life. And I think I want to lead those people. <laughs> so I'm kind of more afraid <laughs> that people won't or mm-hmm. that they'll run from it um, instead of stepping into it. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a conversation I was having with my 14-year-old recently. He's going on a missions trip and he was having to fill out the application. And I said, let me know if you have any questions. And he came and he said, what's this question mean about what's my spiritual relationship with God? Hmm. And so I said, well, what do you think it means? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's always the first place to start. Um, and he said, you know, I, I learned about God. And he said, it felt like he was this big. And his hands were about six inches apart. And he said, then I learned something new. And his hands kept getting farther yeah. apart with yeah. everything that he learned. And I said, yes. And the temptation is that to bring it all back, to bring it all back and put it into a box because this feels safer, safer, manageable, comprehensible. And I said, but God will keep bursting out of that box. Mm-hmm. And then he said, it's like in Sea of Thieves, which is a video <laughs> game he plays. Okay, perfect. He's and making connections. I know. And there's a map and they have all these ships and islands, but beyond the map, there's clouds there are clouds and there's mm. fog mm-hmm. and he said god's kind of like that like there's what we know and then there's what we don't know love it i was like brilliant 14 year old i know i was like yes yeah and thank exactly. you god for giving him that yeah no i love it i i reference the um the part of of prince caspian from the lion the witch in the wardrobe and the narnia series mm-hmm. where lucy sees aslan who's the christ figure and she says you've gotten bigger since the last time i saw you and she kind of assumes that she's the one she got she actually got bigger but mm-hmm. then why is Aslan bigger that doesn't make sense to her and he says like the the longer you know me the bigger I'll be mm-hmm. and I think it's that you know but that's that feels a little unnerving I think it does and it's scary <laughs> yeah I mean I think it's that sense of security of why we keep trying to put him back into a box yeah mm-hmm. and in your the first part of you, your book you talked about wandering and wondering yeah and will you talk a little bit about those two things the difference, and the yeah. differences because I thought that was really I thought that was a really important distinction yeah if you're kind of stepping into this totally and um you know I I'm a Tolkien fan like a lot of people are and there's the quote not all who wander are lost and it's interesting if you kind of look at what part of that story because the people who are wandering are in that Tolkien story are actually doing something very intentional <laughs> but it seems like they're wandering and so I I want I was kind of thinking okay what if we take it this way not all who wander are lost mm-hmm. and thinking about the phrase, the word lost, and how there's lost in the woods, but then there's also a way that in faith and Christianity, we say there's people who are lost. And it's kind of this idea that that's, so that's always wrong. When, what if we think of it as, as being lost means you have to find something. Being lost means that there's questions that are unanswered. And instead of thinking, oh, 
there's groups that there's the people who are found and the people who are lost it's a part of life to be wonderings about something next and something that you can't see beyond the clouds or the map doesn't go as far and Mm -hmm. all of that and so there's this it's like more of a posture shift from a sense of wandering to wondering and I think about the many people who have come alongside who the wandering almost becomes a way to avoid truly wondering and saying I wonder what God's up to I wonder about these things about God I wonder who Jesus really is and what that means for me I wonder about how these bad things can happen and God is good. You know, those kind of Mm -hmm. questions, I get why people want to run from them. And so you wander away from them. And so wonder to me feels like it's taking the same space, right? Wilderness and Mm -hmm. choosing a posture that is more intentional versus one that is, you know, erratic and kind of just saying, well, we'll see where this takes me. Wondering gives this posture of, I actually think there's things that can be discovered here. Mm -hmm. There's actually uh, something beyond the fog. There's actually... I love the phrase like the far side of complexity doesn't mean that it's not complex, but you get to the spot where you're almost okay with the complexity because you realize it's caused you to expand. And I just love that idea. And I think it's been true for me in my life. I know the times in my life when I've been kind of wandering Mm -hmm. and where I've done that to kind of avoid things that are hard or to avoid uh, being accountable to things or to avoid having to do something with what I now know. And there's a lot of areas in life that I think are easy, in addition to faith, that are easy, easier to wander because then you're not on the hook to step into what you discover when you're wondering. But I just think that there's a, a much more exciting way to live, to discovery to discovery. Mm-hmm. And wondering, I think, can get you there. Something else you talk about in the book is, are catechisms. Yeah. And it was interesting because I've been thinking lately about how, because I grew up in the Lutheran yeah, church. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So did you have yeah. catechisms in your setting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there were a list of things that we learned, which are the things that I find myself going back to now. Mm-hmm. And so we're growing, we're raising our boys and we're going to a Baptist church. Yeah. And there is catechisms. That. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so while I was in a church with that, things were wrote to me mm. and I didn't actually find God there. Mm. I found him someplace else and went back and went, oh my gosh, he was here the whole time. Yeah, totally. And I just didn't see him. Yeah. But so, so how do you balance the the things that are valuable mm-hmm. about a catechism and valuable about the things that you know, and then balancing that with you know, holding the tension yep. of the two? Yeah. I love that you said holding the tension because I think that's that I think I, I think I put it somewhere in the book, like becoming friends with tension or just mm. like being willing to accept that that's part of life. Um, and that's the thing that sometimes I think uh, tension is heavy, it's hard, it's tiring. And so we, that's mm-hmm. why we don't want to have it. But I think, yeah, how do you hold the tension between, so catechism for anyone who maybe is totally, that's not been a part of your life, are these like short questions with short answers to help you make understanding of this, what it means to be a Jesus follower or a Christian and its roots are in the Catholic Church. But for me, I grew up in a covenant church, and we had catechism in our experience. But it's different for everybody. But I remember the, I, re, I do remember a lot of them because mm-hmm. they are easy to memorize. Mm-hmm. So some of the positives are these are things that are easy to memorize, and things you have memorized become a part of you so that you can recall them quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I remember one of the catechisms is, was, um, what is sin? Sin is everything in thought, word, and deed that is contrary to the will of God. Okay, that sounds pretty rote. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> but when you come into a place of brokenness where you realize that there's something just so wrong about this world, mm-hmm. there's things that are just so wrong about me and how I am in, at times. I want to see wrong things made right. And so then you discover, oh, wait, that's what that's what we were using the word sin for, the brokenness in the world that keeps us from what God wants for us. Oh, that's what I just said, the brokenness in the world that keeps us from what God wants for us. That's just my language for everything in thought, word, and deed that's contrary to the will of God. Mm -hmm. And so it's finding your own voice and your own way to think about those things. And so I find there's a sense of rootedness in that. And perhaps there's a couple spots where I disagree with some of the catechisms now. But at the same time, they gave me a foundation during a season of my life where I was much more concrete. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're younger, you think Mm -hmm. more concrete and less abstract, and it's more difficult to embrace mystery. And Um, that's good but I think it's a so as a parent thinking about how do I how do I set my boys up to be able to embrace the mystery later yeah instead of you know being so black and white and so concrete with things yeah in the the catholic catechism there is a catechism about the mystery of god 
mm-hmm. the Catholic catechism is huge. I mean, it's just this huge book now. And I'm, I'm not Catholic and I wasn't raised Catholic, so I'm speaking as an outsider. But one of the things talks about the central mystery of God being the Trinity and how do you understand that? And mm-hmm. I mean, so you can actually have within a sense of catechism uh, an embracing of God as mysterious. Mm-hmm. And so I, I suggest that there's a difference between a catechism of certainty and a catechism of curiosity. And what I would hope for, you know, our teenagers or for any of us is that the catechism of curiosity would be more like, can God be comprehended? No, a God that is bigger than our minds and our finite beings cannot be fully, you know, like, <laughs> like there's, there's still this way of saying my gut reaction, my foundation is I want God to be bigger than I can understand, or I don't know if I could believe in that God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want God to be transcend my human experience, which is what mystery and transcendence and all that, you Mm -hmm. know, words that people get nervous about because um, God is God and I'm not, you know. And so there's there's actually this ability to say it's not that there was short answers and short questions. It was just that there there needs to be that ability to go beyond that and to build off of those things Mm -hmm. and to find nuance within those things and to recognize what does that mean, you know? So there's plenty of nuance we could have about the concept of sin outside of that one little statement. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, that statement doesn't actually say that it's personal and sin is just a thing that individuals have. That statement leaves room for systemic brokenness mm-hmm. and sin in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's not actually excluding those things. It's just limited. It doesn't It doesn't expound on that. Mm-hmm. It's too finite and, and small and uh, clear and concise. And so the permission to build off of that and expand is so key. But but expansion is hard. So one of the, the illustrations I give in the book as a true Minnesotan, so here we are sitting in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It's finally warm outside. Sort of. Um, sort of, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have long winters. We always do. And what's so interesting is everyone who lives in Minnesota knows the joke. It's kind of a groaner. In Minnesota, we have two seasons, winter and road construction. Mm-hmm. And the reason we have road construction season is because our roads are torn up all winter. Why are they torn up? Well, the snow and the ice and the sleet, it melts and then it flows into the cracks in the ground and then it freezes. And water, kind of unusually compared to most liquids, expands when it freezes and it cracks the surface of the ground. And so then it has to be repaired. Mm -hmm. And whether we like it or not, I think that's what that expansion feels like sometimes. It just Mm -hmm. feels like you're busting up something that used to be easy to drive on. And so then you've got potholes and then the things that seem like smooth sailing feel like potholes. Like you're singing a worship song and you're going, wait, 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 do I believe that? Mm -hmm. That's a pothole Mm -hmm. because of the expansion that you have. And maybe you think, oh, I don't know if I believe that or not. Maybe I'm singing that right now out of a sense of a prayer versus a sense of a certainty. Like I want this to be true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe it means I can't always sing that fully right now Mm -hmm. in this season. But potholes can be worked through, but they aren't easily covered up. And we want to do the same thing that people do in Minnesota and they like fill it with some dirt for a little while or like some gravel. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you can't, that's not a permanent way of, because you want the smooth sailing again. You want to be able to drive without the, the bumps, but but it comes back, it comes back. And so what does it look like to actually dig in and say, okay, how do we, how do I fill this crack? But the, but the good thing is, is it came from expanding mm-hmm. as a person and that's not a bad thing, but it feels bad sometimes. It feels it negative well, it's hard and scary and scary I mean, it can feel scary when you feel like the things that you believe mm-hmm. are being expanded and being broken up yeah because then you're grasping mm-hmm. i'm just speaking from personal experience yeah exactly <laughs> then you feel like you're grasping at what what is true what right. what are some things that i can hold on to yep and i think that's possible to find some of those things to hold on to but not if you run from the fact that you're dealing with that in the first place right then you're then you're holding on to something that you know is a rope that's not tied to anything. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be a far fall from that, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so yeah, I think that, so. I totally recognize that. Stay curious. I, I think hopefully the phrase "stay curious" like, oh yeah, I want to be curious. But when you get down to what it really means to be somebody who stays in a place of curiosity and doesn't follow our almost addiction towards certainty and wanting that. It, it it's a scary place. It can feel like a very scary place. It feels like a wilderness. Mm-hmm. But how many times did God, in the story of God that we see in Scripture, did God, did the people of God find themselves in the wilderness? And when I looked back at that story, every single time throughout that the narrative, even when Jesus went into the wilderness, it said that God led them into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And so that first of all means that God's there, <laughs> whether mm-hmm. you feel like you mm-hmm. see God or not, or God's presence is clear to you. Secondly. It means it might be something that God wants for us for some reason. 
And then it means that there's things that are going to happen there that I just think can't happen in any other way because I don't personally come, I haven't come to understand that God's doing that to punish people or to do, but because of God's love and that Mm -hmm. there's something about that, you know, God, Jesus going into the wilderness, the, the time that the, the Israelites spent in the wilderness, what was going on there. I love that our friend Joe often says it wasn't that long for them to get out of Egypt, but it took that long to get Egypt out of them. Mm. And I think that Egypt, I mean, Egypt means a a narrow place. It means like a tight space Mm. and they were expanding. And so sometimes you're in a wilderness because that's what it takes to get you out of that narrow place. And while that is very hard. those that wouldn't expand. Yeah. Didn't didn't get to go go on. (laughs) Right. Exactly. If they didn't use the wandering and wondering space for what I think God was leading them there for, mm-hmm. then they didn't get to go into the new, the, you know, the promised land or the, or the new space. I think there's a lot of wilderness experiences in life and there is a purpose for those things. I don't think that God's always causing them, but I think sometimes God allows them mm-hmm. and that God always uses them. And I think that's the question. Are we going to be, op- wondering means I wonder why and how and what I can take from this experience and how that might expand who I am into the next season of my life. And knowing that those wilderness seasons do most of the time come to an end, mm-hmm. but they can sometimes feel like 40 years. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think it's part of my journey was praying that I would be comfortable in the uncomfortable, mm. that I would be okay with discomfort. Yeah. Because I would see people that could have conversations that I found frightening, frankly, mm-hmm. or just uncomfortable. And I thought, I want to want to be able to do that. Yeah. And so, and I know that you offer it in your, in this in your book too, but what are, if someone is feeling like seeing that, feeling like I was then, seeing people who are, who are wondering yeah. and able to stay curious, you know, what do you suggest for someone who feels like they want to be there too? They, well, they the, want to be comfortable with the questions, you mean? Yeah. Well, and the way that you described it in the book is being stuck. You felt in your story, you felt like you were stuck in quicksand. Yeah. Right. So maybe talk a little bit first about your experience of being stuck in quicksand. Yeah. And then things that we could do to, to, to get, out, to of get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that feeling stuck is really a terrible feeling. And, you know, my therapist said something interesting the other day. She said, we think that the deepest fear that we have about our bodies is that we're going to die. And she said, but what they've studied about the human psyche is that the biggest fear we actually have about our body is that we're trapped. Mm. And that's what I said. I went, hmm. She goes, interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was worth the price (laughs) of today. Um, And so I've been thinking about that. And I think that it feels terrible to feel trapped Mm -hmm. and to feel stuck. Like in a job. I mean, if you feel trapped in a job, if you feel trapped in a relationship. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you feel trapped in your understanding of maybe potentially the most important thing, the divine and who mm-hmm. God is and what that means for you and the, and your spirituality, that's terrible. It feels terrible. So I think that when you see somebody else who seems comfortable, maybe not even comfortable, but okay with being uncomfortable mm-hmm. around the questions, there's a sense of longing that some people have. Or at least I'd say, I hope if you see that longing, like stay with it. Don't right. go back to like, oh, terrible for them. I'm going back to my, you know. Yeah. But I think there's lots of things you can try. So the whole second part of the book, I give a lot of what I call experiments. So um, I love the word experiment because experiments are not permanent. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they are something that you try and evaluate, evaluate mm-hmm. um, just like and I, I'm not a big science person. So I, you know, I read about the scientific method just so that I was relatively clear. But OK, you have a question that you're asking and you say, OK, how do I answer this question? I have a hypothesis. Maybe maybe I don't. What are the steps that I would take to try something? What are those steps? Line them up do the steps and then the most important part for any experiment is the review what did mm-hmm. we learn from this mm-hmm. and then that would lead to probably another experiment right. i mean think about that with scientists are just jumping from experiment to experiment and that's how all things that have ever been discovered in the world have been discovered mm-hmm. it's like my husband, accident or experiment yeah my husband's an engineer i should have had him read this over man what oh. if an engineer is like this is not how this goes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah that he works in biomedical and so that's what they do they totally. he's running tests all the time and it's evaluation of the tests and making sure that you know is the microstimulator doing what it's supposed, supposed to, to do, do within the bounds like it has to do certain things and not harm people exactly <laughs> so i just think those experiments actually need to start relatively small if you did one experiment to answer five questions 
the scientists would tell you like no <laughs> you got to focus on one thing you know mm-hmm. that's like everyone's everyone's problem in their research is like they have like their their one question is actually like six questions mm-hmm. so like what's the one question so you know maybe one of the questions that you're facing is why do bad things happen to good people how does a good god that's the problem of evil G- guys like there's been books written about this mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. that's overwhelming and you can either stick in the quicksand of this is an overwhelming question i will never understand this and on one hand, I'm kind of saying, yeah, you probably will never understand the biggest problem <laughs> that people mm-hmm, have faced. Mm-hmm. But is there a, a space you can get to on the far side of the complexity of this question? Well, and no. also, well, and it also feels wrong, yeah, to say that God's not good, right? Even if that's the way that you it, feel, because that was part of my problem. Yeah, part of my was dealing with God's goodness, and it felt wrong to say, I don't really think God is good, right? So what do we do about that? Right? Yeah. So. You could stay in the quicksand of that question mm-hmm. because that's, I think, what that question feels or like to a lot of people. Or not ask it. Yep, or not ask it. Because it feels wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we believe in believing and we believe that God is good, so... Mm-hmm. that That's... And, and honestly, if some people are there right now, that's fine. I'm not actually trying to get people to just blow that up. But there are seasons in life where that's pretty hard to stay in. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to feel like you're not just in sand, you're in quicksand. It's pulling you down. And that's where it's like, well, something has to give because either I'm going to go under here mm-hmm. or... It's not just I'm stuck, I'm standing still. It's like I'm getting sucked in. And so I just want to say to people, start moving. Start to take a step. And I actually think that metaphor breaks down because I think if you like struggle moving in quicksand, quicksand yeah, yeah whatever. But you, but you can't... Reach for the stick. Reach for the stick, yeah. Do something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Get your arms out, keep an arm out and grab something. And that's an experiment, one experiment. So an example, and I think the best experiments are ones that people come up with on their own. But I give a lot of examples because that can give you some things to try. And then I do think that when people start to experiment and learn, they start to develop their own, oh, I wonder if I did this, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and almost permission. Yeah, permission. permission. So, so for example, I think somebody, if, if you're feeling that, that question is, is really pulling you down, what if you decided to try to have a conversation with someone in your life who you believe has suffered a lot in their life mm-hmm. and still claims the name of Jesus? I'm going to interview that person. Two people. Two people that have suffered. I know for me, one of the things that has helped me to make the most sense about a lot of that is reading uh, the theology of people who have been come from descendants of slaves, people who have experienced suffering in other parts of the world. The global church has really helped me to bust up my paradigm about what suffering truly is and like mm-hmm. what yeah. that means. <laughs> and and I don't feel like I could even answer the question in a, in a lot of clarity in a, in a catechism right now. But what I can say is, there is uh, openness in the mystery of how God works in suffering that I did not understand until I had some of these conversations. That's different. Maybe just to give another example, you're, what you're stuck in is, is the church really something? Do I really need this? Because mm. this thing has kind of hurt me a lot or hurt my friends or... Which I think is a really big question. It's a really big question. Or today. this thing has really been... It, it's either hurt me, it's hurt my friends, it seems irrelevant, it's wasting my time, mm-hmm. I don't trust people. What I've found is that a lot of people I'm having that conversation with they left and as a pastor part of me is like oh no no and part of me is like listen i'm a pastor i know why you got out of this (laughs) i see the seedy underbelly Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. what when human beings try to do something it's always a mess and the church is no exception but i think that i find a lot of people left and they left in a season before they were really like a fully formed adult Mm. (laughs) and so maybe an experiment perhaps is to do some research about churches Find one that seems to seems healthy, ask some good questions, and then go to that church for three months every week if you can as an experiment, okay? Mm-hmm. So you're, now you can you're say- You're not trapped. Nope, you're not trapped. Mm-hmm. As a fully formed adult, I have now gone to a church for three months and I have a very different amount of experiences that I can consider. Maybe even intentionally going to one that was a very different part of a tradition from your own that you grew up with. I don't know. It's that experiment is designed for them. So I've realized that people have had that. What if your experiment is actually just to not go <laughs> for three months? I don't know. Right. And, and say, well, what does it look like? But but an experiment has to be intentional. Right. It's not just a oh, I'm going to stop doing this um, accidentally. No, I'm intentionally deciding I'm going to do something different with this time and see what happens. And I've set a date for when I'm going to review how this went. And maybe I'm I've got some conversation partners. I always say. 
who's your conversation partner? Who's your conversation partner? Because it's very difficult to learn anything from a process without a conversation partner. Um, what do you do with your conversation? I mean, obviously, to process, a conversation. To process that with. So, okay. so let's say you did decide, I'm going to go to this church for three months. And perhaps there's somebody in your life who'll do that with you, first mm-hmm. of all. Perhaps there's someone else who feels like a safe person where you can say, "Can let's check in. I want to tell you what that was like for me because whether you're a verbal processor or not, somebody else reflecting back to you usually really helps you grow. Mm-hmm. And then saying to that person, after the three months, I want to sit down with you and help me discover, like, is there anything I learned from this that causes me to make a different decision at this point? And it might be, no, I'm still feeling like, okay, then th- that's fine. You learned something, though. You did. Mm-hmm. You did mm-hmm. learn something. And so I'm really encouraging these experiments, not because I have a predetermined outcome that I think people need to have, but because you can't get unstuck if you don't start moving. And uh, I often think of the, the concept of discernment through movement. And, you know, you read like the book of Acts, you look like Acts 16. They're kind of just like using wonder to get them from place to place. You could read it and say they're wandering, but they're not. Mm-hmm. They're saying, OK, I think we saw a vision of a man from Macedonia. So let's go to Macedonia. They end up finding a woman in the fashion industry. Does that mean the vision wasn't right? I don't know. But it, they're moving with intention towards something that they're wondering about. And that's how the church came to be. That's why you and I are sitting here. Mm-hmm. is because some people weren't afraid to do something that they had zero certainty about. You know, the spirit of Jesus didn't let us go here. I don't know what that means. Was mm-hmm. the spirit of Jesus flying in the street? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But they couldn't do it. Right. So they tried something else. They're just trying things. They're experimenting. And we, we I think we just live in a culture that's so kind of addicted to the certainty that the idea that we need to to take action out of certainty becomes what we assume. But we're taking actions all the time out without certainty. And indecision is still a decision. And it leads us somewhere. And then we wake up one day and we're going, where am I? <laughs> and <laughs> it, it, it resulted in wandering instead of intentional wandering towards something, I think. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels crazy. Oh, a, yeah. a lot of the process, I feel like you feel not only wrong, but, well, maybe that's just me, but also a little bit crazy like like them saying oh well I saw this vision so I'm going to go this way that that feels that can feel crazy yeah like this whole process can feel like there's tension and you feel kind of wrong and you know unsteady and a little crazy and that can make it yeah that that can can make make it really difficult in fact Mm -hmm. some of the experiments that I have in there um are really you know truth be told and I definitely give the credit like Ignatian spirituality, which is, is comes from Catholicism and practices or practices. And I don't know, I came from a Devo culture, like like you're supposed mm-hmm. to have some sort of magic quiet time or devotional with God and that made you a good Christian. And I abandoned that a long time ago. In fact, that might be someone who's listening to this experiment, like stop doing that <laughs> for a second mm-hmm. and just figure <laughs> out why you're doing that mm-hmm. or stop telling yourself you should be doing that and wonder about what you actually want to do because there's a lot of ways to connect to God and the divine and Jesus not just sitting in a room being quiet. Although I do think there's a huge value to that. But the when it becomes something that's, um, you know, an expectation instead of an opportunity. However, what if going through the motions is actually the thing that grounds you the most? Mm. So doing that out of an obligation or a sense of piety is one thing. To say, I'm going to do this practice of centering prayer every morning for five minutes. Five minutes. Okay. And I'm going to try to do that for 30 days straight. Why am I doing that? Not because I think God likes me more because I did that, but because I'm feeling untethered. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling crazy. I'm feeling like I don't know which way is up. And so maybe, maybe experiment if I take five minutes to clear my mind each morning and just focus on the fact that God says God's got a peace and that's what I need. Mm -hmm. Maybe that will make a difference. Maybe you do it for 30 days. It absolutely doesn't make a difference. Another idea I have in there is an Ignatian practice of the daily examine. The end of the day, here's some questions you ask about your life. What brought you, what made you feel like things were good? What made you feel like things were bad or desolation and consolation they used in that term for in Ignatian spirituality? Try it. Just try doing that every day for a month and see what, what happens when you take the, the space mm-hmm. to, to let your mind come out of itself and right. see where you're at, you know? And so instead of seeing those things as an obligation, seeing them as maybe in your crazy life, that's the only thing that's happening, right? I, I, I hear so many people say, once I get my stuff together, like I'm feeling like my life is just so crazy right now, then I'm going to figure out what my spiritual practices are. I'm going to create that space for that. I'm going, listen, because your life is so crazy, the spiritual practice might be the only thing that you do every day. Mm -hmm. And people who are questioning their faith, I think should consider, consider spiritual practices even more fully because 
when you don't create the space for your questions and you're saying things like, well, I'm in a time of questioning. Okay, that's important. That's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm saying apparently. <laughs> apparently I'm saying that's good. Mm-hmm. So where where is the space you're cultivating that that part of yourself right now? And if you can't answer that question, that's why you feel crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and a really important part of what you're saying too is the practice. Yeah. That it's a practice, that it's something that you, it's something that you practice, that yeah. you won't do it right. Totally. Necessarily or yep. that it won't feel, you know, transcendent the right. first in, time you in, do it. In what other day, in what other aspect of our life are we okay with the idea that we only do it when we feel like it? Mm-hmm. Like I only tell my husband I love him when I'm like really feeling it. Well, that wouldn't work out well for us. Like <laughs> I only brush my teeth when I'm really feeling it. Like that's not going to go well. I'm only, you don't, that's not how life is. Mm-hmm. Like you do things because you think they might get you to another space and you're hoping by creating that space something will come from that. And if you think you're doing things that aren't leading to that space, then change it. Mm -hmm. But the idea that they don't need to exist is an interesting one. And I know like the phrase spiritual disciplines, the word discipline feels negative. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, been what's hard for a lot of people. But the idea of being disciplined to do something has, is, is a big part of what gets you anywhere in life, you Mm -hmm. know, is Mm -hmm. I'm going to discipline myself and get this college degree. Like that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So if that word is hard, I think practice makes sense. I was an ice hockey player. How did I get to be good at ice hockey you could say I was very disciplined but what was I disciplined in doing practicing Mm -hmm. practicing and so then when I got to the moment of the game I was more ready than I would have been if I didn't practice that's it it's kind of simple in those spaces I think our spiritual and emotional selves our our mind and our heart are similar they need practice space to come to conclusions that are going to help us move forward and will you talk a little bit more about some of those practices because I, I really appreciated what you had to say especially about Practices that people would label as Christian mysticism. Yeah. And then because of the word mysticism being in there, mm-hmm. then they, oh, that's bad. And I am not going to go there. But practices like Lectio Divina and yeah. Yeah. those kinds of practices. Totally. So what you're speaking to, I think, is something very common right now. And that is that um, there's been a real rise of new age spirituality and a lot of things that are um, spiritual, but not religious. And these phrases that people use and that's a good conversation and we can have it someday. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about ancient practices from Orthodox Christianity. (laughs) That's what we mean when we say Christian mysticism. I think that you see Jesus living into the mystical aspect of the divine as the divine. You see the earliest Christians doing that, having visions, having pictures. A a Jewish, a, a first century Jewish person would think it was pretty weird, I think, for us to have kind of separate our mind and our, I mean, that that was like Gnosticism and some other issues that they were facing in the first century. Mm-hmm. So they were Eastern, so they had a little bit more of a way of thinking about the world that was more holistic than we tend to in the West, um, at least those of us who are in majority culture here. So I think that those practices and those that ability to do that stuff and engage the, the mystical parts of life, what do I mean by mystical? Mystery, the parts that don't totally make sense, that kind of transcend our very concrete reality. I mean, we all believe in mysticism or you wouldn't believe in love. Like mm-hmm. love is a transcending reality, right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, you can't touch it and see it and feel it or even express it fully. It's, it transcends the, the tangible. Mm-hmm. I think that's a mystery. Love is a mystery, just like the divine and who God is and the fact that God is Father, Son, and Spirit and all those things. It's a mystery. And embracing that I think can actually be a really beautiful and interesting thing. And practices that help you embrace that in a way that feels measured and not crazy is really good. So yeah, Lectio Divina or listening to the divine. I also love the phrase Visio Divina, which is like visualizing. Um, people mm-hmm. often use artwork for that. And I mean, it could be any artwork, but there's off, there's religious art, for instance. There's definitely been quite a few different artists who've depicted parts of scripture. But I don't think mm-hmm. it's confined just to art in that way. But what is it saying to you? People say like, oh, this piece is speaking to me. And some of us go, okay, what is it saying? It's like, no, no, no. What what does this make your heart say to you when mm. you see this? Does this make your heart sing? Does it make it feel joyful? Does it make you feel dark and sad? And I mean, art opens up a part of you that's mystic, mystical, you know? Mm-hmm. And so looking at a piece of art and saying, God, if you're out there, <laughs> like give me an impression of what you're trying to say or what do you want me to notice? What do you, what do you, you know, same thing when you read scripture. What is something you want me to notice? I don't even understand what this word means. Maybe that means you can study it. But what if you just said, what do you want me to know today, God, from looking at these these words that don't always make total sense because it wasn't written to me. I'm here 2,000 years later. Mm-hmm. I think God is mystical enough to transcend that and to speak to us. And I think that if we 
took out some of the fears we have about New Age spirituality and what that could mean, you would see that uh, it's so core to scripture that people would engage God outside of concrete, tangible ways, and that God is absolutely transcends that. That's part of what makes God, God, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think those practices are super helpful. There's just so many different ways, like different paths of connecting to God. I love the book by Gary Thomas that talks about the different spiritual pathways, like Mm -hmm. nature. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I feel close to God in nature. Oh, I feel close to God in intellectual when I'm learning something stimulating, when I feel like I'm quiet or when I'm really experiencing my emotions strongly or when I'm somebody, I'm someone who experiences God through music or most of us do in multiple ways, but none of us do it exactly the same way. And if we bust out of that paradigm, I think there's some really wonderful things we can experience. But busting out of paradigms, once again, there we are again, expanding, and it it's painful and it breaks things. But breakthroughs start with something breaking. <laughs> right, what, right. You can't get to breakthrough without breaking something. Well, and something that you mentioned at the beginning, too, that I'll come back to now is the wall, getting to yeah. the wall and breaking. You talked about people trying to go everywhere mm-hmm. around it, but through yeah, it. Yeah, to go through it, yeah. 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 That's a hard concept to, to think about because you want to figure out there's got to be a way to go around this thing. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a way. Um, but the the it's almost like a sober moment to say, I actually have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And I, I so I got that picture from uh, a book called The Critical Journey. I love that book. And yeah, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. And Gulick's not alive anymore, but Janet is. And actually in writing this book, I found out she lives here in Minnesota and got to be friends with her. And she is wonderful and just such a gift. And in The Critical Journey, it talks about one of the critical moments in your journey Mm -hmm. is coming up to a wall in life. A lot of those walls come from experiences and circumstances. Okay, Um, well, and that was something that I thought, because I've read The Critical Journey, and then when I was reading yours, that you talked about multiple walls. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, no, 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 I already went through the wall. Yeah, it's cyclical. It's probably more cyclical, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like any other part of... We want things to be linear, don't we? Right, We so badly want to say, I got from A to Z. And I'm done. Yeah, but usually it's just so much more more cyclical than that. Right. But once you go through one wall, there's a different way of knowing, like, okay, if and when there's another wall-like experience, I actually know that I can do this. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different tool to bring into that space than the first time you go through something big. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I worked in student development for a long time, so I was with college students. If they hadn't hit a wall before college, college basically creates one <laughs> where, you're, where you realize what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I watched college students either choose to engage that or run away from it or try everything to get around it. And the people who decide, I'm going to try to go through this thing, they're usually not quite done with that by the time college is over. That's the hard part. But they're the, the folks who I see on the other side now because a lot of these students I've seen – for 15 years now, you know, so I see them as 35 year olds. Mm-hmm. And they're people who are more grounded, more secure in who they are, more comfortable with mystery and uncertainty, more sure of the things I, I like to say, they're less sure of a lot of things, but more sure of a few things. Mm. And I think that's that's been my experience too. like going through the wall cuts away a lot of the things that you realize, I don't know that I need to know that. But I feel really sure about this because I went through this. Like Mm -hmm. I experienced this and I don't know how to tell you that I know that Jesus is real, but these experiences I had, man, I can't even explain them, but I don't know how else I got through that. So that's where I'm at, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a very different story than you need to agree with this doctrine that I have. And telling that story to somebody really is a different way to bring your wholehearted self than do you agree with me about this thing? Because that's where we get in real trouble. So yeah, and the wall is a is a part of life. And um, so yeah, Janet shares in the book and Critical Journey about her her journey and of coming against multiple walls in her life. But it it usually comes from a circumstance. Um, but I think the circumstance of the complexity of understanding your faith or your worldview getting kind of questioned is sometimes enough. But for other people, um, when I asked people while I was writing the book, what's the thing that brought you to a faith crisis? Most people said a circumstance. Um, something bad that happened, um, something that happened that caused them to say, well, I can't believe what I thought I believed before. An example that I give in the book is that, and, and I'm not sure exactly how far I go into this, but my my dad worked for the evangelist Billy Graham. And I talk in the book about losing my dad when I was 17 and that loss being one of the first walls and mm-hmm. in, anticipating that loss being one of the first walls I experienced in my faith and in my life. And I watched Billy Graham, probably the most famous Christian that's lived in our time, mm-hmm. pray for him, come to the hospital and pray. And I 
I had a very concrete understanding of the phrase, uh, the prayers of the righteous will be powerful and effective. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going like either Billy Graham's not as righteous as we thought, which I will say I really believe that he was a very like integritous man or that verse is wrong. But you can see how I'm taking a very concrete approach to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that in itself caused a wall experience because that caused me to believe something or to, to not be able to believe something I had formally believed and believed in a very clear, concrete, uh, transactional type way. Mm-hmm. And so for me to come to a spot where I can accept that prayer is more transformational than transactional, that it does do something, I do think it's effective, but that its effects are not always A and B and you know one thing leads to another the way that we humans think of it. Well, that was a serious journey through a very thick wall, okay, mm-hmm, <laughs> that mm-hmm. took years and meant that I was in spots where I think I was supposed to be praying for people as part of my job in some of my settings that I was in in ministry, and I didn't even think that prayer was a thing, like, because mm-hmm. I was wrestling through it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really hard, but man, am I glad that I went through that, because now I think about how I experienced that aspect of my faith, for instance, and I don't even know if I can explain to somebody how, why I'm comfortable with having seen that and having lost my dad still a few days after Billy Graham comes in and lays hands on him. Like, I don't know how to tell you that, except that I journeyed through that and I'm a different person now mm-hmm. having gone through that. And if I would have just sat at, at the foot of that wall and pouted or walked away or would still be trying to jump over it, I mean, I'd be very worn out, <laughs> you know, yeah. 20 years later. Well, and what I appreciate about what you're saying too is that you were still in leadership. Yeah. You were still mm-hmm. in ministry. You were still doing the thing that was put in front of you totally while you were wrestling that yeah. they can they can have there might be times when people need to yeah take it's a, a break, that's a discernment but, yeah. yep that's definitely a discernment i think for me personally having those leadership spaces pushed me to keep going because mm. i knew either i either i'm going to come to a point where i can't do this anymore or i need to get through this wall mm-hmm. and for me there were times when i stopped doing certain things for sure but pushing through the walls to the other side gives you a clarity about what you're supposed to do in the first place and so i do think pressing into those but i I do think there's a real wisdom in certain seasons of life to say i need to cut back from a couple things or prune some things back maybe not quit everything Mm -hmm. but to get the space to go through the wall because like i said if you don't create the space for those questions they're going to happen to you instead of you happening to them and that's (laughs) not a fun feeling it's that's a less fun feeling than it's, it's 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 hard no matter what but that that doesn't feel good. <laughs> Running into a wall that right. you're trying to pretend isn't there mm-hmm. is going to bruise your face. Right. It's like the birds that keep flying <laughs> into my exactly window. exactly like the birds that are flying into the window. Mm-hmm. So that's that's hard, but it's really real. So then there's part three of your book, that how to stay curious, a life of passionate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So, and we talked about that a little bit already, that it's not, you go through the wall and then you're done and it's linear and yep. amen, you mm-hmm. are mature. I know. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> so we could talk a little bit about that cyclical ongoing. Yeah. So it's interesting because I never had used the phrase passionate uncertainty until I was trying to figure out how to express what I was hoping for, mm-hmm. for people. And I think that just passion has been a value for me in my life. It was a big part of my parents' way my parents raised me is that a life worth living is one where you pursue your passions. You don't always get paid for your passions. It's not always about that, but that you you let be passion be something that drives you as part of your life. And so the idea of being passionate about uncertainty could seem almost like a, like a paradox, mm-hmm. but I think that there's this this idea that the passion is what drives you and the drive towards uncertainty means you're curious and you want answers to questions and you might reach some answers, but not so that you're going to stop being passionate about the uncertainty that then will be faced. Because most questions just lead to deeper questions. That's what I have been finding lately. Like I've been doing some the rabbinical yeah, yeah. Cir- scripture circles. Exactly. Where I leave with more questions than I came with, Yep. but I am more excited yeah. when I leave. And, and, you're going, more, and you want to come back to that. Yeah. yeah. And, and also to your point about I feel certain about a few things. Right. And some of the chaff has been blown away, mm-hmm. the, the things that didn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, what you're bringing up, the rabbinical tradition, this is ancient Judaism, the roots of Christianity, mm-hmm. nothing like outside <laughs> of our, you know, uh, of the stream that we are all, you know, those of us who are Christians are in. And the space that that created, how profound and how wonderful that is that that's being brought into your space as a Christian. And I think questions are generative. They actually generate more ideas, more questions, sometimes some answers, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but then those answers often lead to other questions. And the, instead of being afraid of the fact that questions are generative, recognizing that, I mean, I remember when I was writing this, this is the first time I thought of this, the word quest 
is what questions are. Oh. I never thought about that before. And I had like, I was researching and I saw some somebody say like, well, quest, quest is at the core of what a question is. A question will take you on a quest if you follow it. Mm-hmm. And I get that that's scary. Where's, where's what? The, the word quest means like, I think you don't know what you're going towards. That's right. kind of what I mean, a quest it is. It feels like Goonies, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Fellowship of the Rings. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And why do we love those stories? Because right. part of us wants to go on a quest. Mm-hmm. We want there to Adventure. be things we don't know about. Mm-hmm. What if we were passionate about the uncertainty of things that led us on multiple quests in our life? And maybe is that maybe a better way to live? And that's what I'm suggesting is staying curious, Mm -hmm. choosing to stay curious. I think curiosity leads to other really healthy things in life, like understanding people who are different than you and trying to seek to understand more than be understood by other people so Mm -hmm. that you can actually be a person in relationship with others. I think the question, can you help me understand why you did that is a lot better than what is wrong with you and why did you do that? (laughs) And that genuine heart posture of I actually do want to understand how this person ended up taking these actions towards me, towards other people. I just think that's going to open up way different quests in life than uh, an accusatory quote unquote question like, mm-hmm. why did you do that? <laughs> um, so I think that the cultivating curiosity in your life is a better way to live. Are some people more wired towards it? Sure. But I do think that we are all created with that in mind. That's why you have so many little kids asking why all the time. And there's something in our world that kind of, and I, I know I'm speaking from like majority culture in the United States, something in that in that air that we breathe here that tells you at some point you need to grow out of that. Mm. And I wonder if that's maybe one of the worst things that people grow out of when it comes to how we can be people who engage with other people in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that it's really detrimental. Is there anything about the book that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we mention? I mean, go buy it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so when, whenever you're listening to this, um, it's available on Amazon. It might still be in pre-order when you're hearing this, but turns out pre-orders for authors that are brand new are huge. I didn't know. I'm learning about all this stuff, which has been really fun. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of questions about the publishing world (laughs) that are becoming answered, and it turns out they just lead to more questions. questions. But Mm -hmm. um, I think it it really helps because it helps people, it helps get the book into people's hands. Mm -hmm. And of course, I only wrote it because I think it will help people. So that's why I want people to read it or buy it. And And it's going to be hardcover. It's going to be hardcover, yeah. You can put it on your shelf. You can put it on your shelf. It'll be a reference for you. The front of the cover has has a maze on it, which I thought was I don't use the illustration of a maze in the book but the mm-hmm. artist came up with that idea and I was like that's cool that's a good idea because is it a solvable maze like is it an actual no I don't think so okay but apparently this is what they're which saying which is good because right. you, you can never come to the end exactly it just leads to different spaces right. um, and sometimes you have dead ends yeah sure mm-hmm. turn around and try another that's what right. you do right <laughs> um, and so I, I love that it's a maze and I, I guess you might it might be kind of like textured where you can like feel the maze oh that's cool I know I'm like oh that's neat <laughs> So yeah, so pre-order it if you can. And, um, you know, I, I think there's people who, when we talk about this, they are not there. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I would say is, are there people in your life who permission to be in a place of questions and doubts could be one of the most loving things that you say to them mm-hmm. by getting them? I, like in some ways, you know, I know that uh, even other people who buy it, not everyone will read it because <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I know how many books I've bought that mm-hmm. I don't read. But I'm hoping that even just the the, the cover and the, the the title, stay curious, questions and doubts can save your faith, that, that there's people who hear that and feel validated in that questioning. And if you've never had, maybe you don't need a pastor to give you permission, but if you do, like here's a pastor telling you it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can have doubts and questions. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. In fact, I'm kind of suggesting that you might be a better version of yourself if you step into that. Yikes. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't read the book, that's fine. The, I hope that the statement really and maybe it's just sitting on your shelf will do that and then maybe there's the moment to step into it but for some of you maybe who are thinking you know I don't really feel this way there's someone within arm's length of you who does and so maybe you don't know that but reading this would help you understand where they're at and where they're coming from and maybe it would even cause you to perk up some questions that you didn't have before and that that would lead to a more vibrant experience for you I do think about those people as part of my audience those who are kind of comfortable with the lack of questions that they have and just saying you know it would be really great to understand others in your life and perhaps to understand this God that you love to be open to some of the the deeper questions in in a season. And mm-hmm. maybe the season is now, maybe it's in the future, but um, it could be really a really vibrant aspect of your of your faith journey. So and where are the places that they can get the book? I mean, anywhere books are sold online and I'll make sure it's all in the show notes. It's on the show notes. Website. Yep. And my my website is pastorsteph.com. And so there's a link there. 
And I did make a, a, a website for the book, which is staycuriousmedia.com. Okay. And I said media because there's going to be a specific podcast around the book and there'll be other tools that people can get there. And uh, I'm going to go on a little tour so you can find out all of that information, see if I'm coming near you or people that you know. For some folks, it might be coming to, you know, it's a little lower risk to just come and like listen, listen into a podcast mm-hmm. and then maybe take the, the step to read deeper into it. Um, and what's the release date? September 17th. Okay. Yep. So if you're listening to this after September 17th, it should be, it, it can get to you in two days, you know, mm-hmm. if not, then pre-order it because that helps me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, it'll be, I think it'll be really exciting for me to see how that journey goes of trying to, to get your written words into people's hands. But it's just been, it's been a gift to have the opportunity to do it. I mean, really a privilege. Well, it sounds like there were questions that you asked and more questions came up in your process of writing it. Oh, yeah. I Like you said at the beginning, I do want to be somebody who lives what I talk about. And Mm -hmm. I do think that I've lived what I'm talking about in this book and I'm still living it. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not, there's no period at the end of the sentence. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what I'm saying. I wonder if every sentence in life we thought more of as having a question mark or an ellipsis, that's probably more reality. And then we can hold firm to the ones that do have a period at the end and then be okay with the fact that most of those stories are consider- continuing or are a semicolon mm-hmm. <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> so there are two questions that I ask all my guests. Okay. The first one is, because it's called Retreat House, how do you retreat? So this will be interesting. Yeah. Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So I could answer that question in a few ways, but um, I have found that personal retreats have been really a really vital part of my faith and so for me that's looked like finding a hermitage or someone's cabin that they're willing to give me um here in minneapolis there's even some places you can go during the day that are private lots of them are by donation you know Mm -hmm. recommended donation even to get some space there's like cathedrals that are open in the middle of the day so some people can't do an overnight some people can't do something like that so i sometimes have a half day retreat sometimes i do two nights you know and i'm really out if i do a two night retreat i sleep for the first like 14 hours because <laughs> I'm so tired, you know, and, and I, it's something I try to do at least twice a year, sometimes more. Um, that's been really important to me, but I, I find that there's ways to find many retreat moments in a lot of aspects of life, but it, it, it's become important to me that I also have those longer retreat experiences where I get away and have that space, like I said, a couple times a year. And it's hard. It's hard to make that time. Mm-hmm. It's hard if it costs money, but I have found it's always been worth the investment. And then my other question is, if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe <laughs> something about yourself, what would that be? Hashtag celebrate weird. I think that I, I'm i just like way more high maintenance than I come across. Like I come across as a person who's like, eh, what? I don't, but I'm actually super high maintenance. And so I have a lot of these weird things that. Um, like you're very specific about your coffee. Uh, very specific about my coffee. When I find like a notebook or something I like, it's really hard if they change those things on me. I have to have my like... What do you mean if they change? Like one of my favorite notebooks, they stopped making. Oh. I mean, it was the worst. (laughs) Um, But I like trying new things. So it's weird that there's this like Mm -hmm. parts of me that are just like quirky like that. And I I almost always have to have like my nails done. And I'm not even... I'm a tomboy. What's with that? I always... (laughs) Like there's just stuff like that. Um, I can't stand it if my hair touches my face. And it just makes me freak out. And so if I, and I have curly hair, so it try it, it's not to always be tamed. Yeah. Right, so it right. tries to like take over. I freak out, uh, you know, and it's, and I, and I'm not trying to say that it's like a version of OCD because I think that's serious. It's not mm-hmm. that. So I'm not trying to say that. It's just this like quirky, like kind of high maintenance and the people who know me the best, anyone who's listening to this is like, oh yeah, I know about that. She needs a lot of help. I need a lot of help. I need a lot of people to help me like function in my life. You know, I'm, I'm like a high capacity person, but all those things you said about like who I am, like it's because I need a lot of help. There's a team. There's a team of people from my therapist to my hairstylist to the people who do my nails to the person who you know reminds me that I can take a break there's all those people I have a Mm -hmm. spiritual director just like a lot of people so I feel like in some ways my celebrate weird is just that I I'm just like more high maintenance than I come across and it seems like oh the tomboy that doesn't need it's like no I can't (laughs) I can't wear anything that's uncomfortable like it's just like a whole thing like I just have a long list it's so dumb and quirky so (laughs) that's so fun yeah well thank you so much for coming on and talking about the book I'm like I said before I'm so I'm so excited that you wrote a book I'm so excited that your voice is out there and it's been really good to be with you in this book yeah 
Yeah, and you've I been, I mean, I've known you this whole time. I've been writing it and stuff too, so you're part of the journeys that I've taken with people, and you've probably had a lot of these same conversations I've had with people too. So I appreciate the support and encouragement, and I'm, I'm super excited to see what happens. Thank you for joining me at the table. Any links or anything that we talked about during the show can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, please go leave a review so others can find us too. If you want to keep up with what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angela Smith MN. Again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week at the Retreat House Podcast. Thank you.